Ron Barracks Action, a Rivenstone podcast where we discuss Broken Anvil Miniatures' exciting new war game. Barracks Action is hosted on the Line of Sight Network. You can find out more about the network and its various podcasts on LOSWarMachine.com. Welcome to episode 15, uh, our Moshinations episode. Uh, I am your host, Red, and with me, the ever-talented Reese. Hey, hey, hey. And Spencer. I'm not talented, guys. <laughs> no, you are very talented. <laughs> I've played you several, several times. You are extremely talented. Uh <laughs> So, uh, we are actually, this recording is actually recording in, in, in the modern era, uh, as opposed <laughs> to our last two recordings, which were recorded way back before episode 11. And then we released a bunch of episodes and then re-released them because <laughs> at the beginning, someone aptly pointed out, uh, you guys are talking about Kickstarter stuff still. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, because, don't question uh, it, it's fine. <laughs> just don't look behind the man with the curtain. Uh, <laughs> Red is behind again. Uh, so this one will actually be hopefully coming out in a uh, timely manner. Uh, if not, you'll be laughing when you hear that this came out in a timely manner. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're going to do this episode uh, continuing our breakdown of scenarios. Uh, then we are going to do a break episode uh, for episode 16, uh, where we're going to go over a couple of the bits of news that BAM have been producing, as well as going over the Tale of Beasts. So what kind of news are we going to be going over in episode 16? Uh, Reese? Uh, so in 16, uh, BAM have actually mentioned a few different things. We've got the community um, design for Wild Strain Pack, which hopefully we'll have a bit more information of uh, when we do that as well. Um, and then there is also two new games that uh, BAM are bringing out. So uh, Forged, which is a uh, minis game, and uh, Prowl, which is like a... Uh, well, it's easy way to explain that. It's like a card board game, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, think like Munchkin, but not... Munchkin was the name I was trying to remember. I was like, yes. so it's that sort of um, that sort of idea there. But yeah, so the, um, there's been a couple of news articles that Bam have done. Uh, I believe Alex is running the was it the Broken Anvil Reader? Um, yeah, the bar, the bar, <laughs> the bar. Um, and yeah, so uh, if you guys want to check that out, and then yeah, drinks. we. <laughs> well, I, I thought um, it was like those a bit more. I thought it was like setting the bar high, like they're 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 setting <laughs> the bar, you know. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, He's the barkeep at the tavern. Oh. Delicious, delicious, delicious BAM news. That is great. Does that mean does that mean he's the barkeep for the bar at the bat, the broken anvil tavern? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag barbat. 
Barbara. <laughs> and now uh now we know what new model's coming in about right. two months on the Patreon. <laughs> uh, for their for their D D stuff, I would love to see like a bartender like wielding a baseball bat. That would be perfect. <laughs> or you or you have like a miniature of like a barkeep. The barkeep's leaning on a bar and then he's holding the bat underneath the underneath bar. the oh that would be even better. Oh, that would be I great. Was, I was I was thinking like the animal, like a humanoid <laughs> oh. <laughs> in in like a vest with a bow tie with a mug. Actually like with one, with one a mug of ale. Yeah. <laughs> have an have an anthropomorphic bat holding a bat underneath a bar. Right. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Also that is perfect. uh <laughs> before people get too excited, Forged is not a game. <laughs> oh it's oh yeah that's their that is the D D line that's that they're producing yeah, stuff it's, for. Yep. yeah the, it's the minis collection yes that's oh, the, we'll, beautiful. We'll, we'll talk more about that in episode 16 right um and in episode 16 else. we're also going to do I, i'm gonna like talk about some of the lore pieces that have came out too uh because i yeah. think it'd be nice to have some lore of rivenstone yeah. uh i know and that you we can uh there. you can talk to us about gen con too oh Oh yeah, Gen Con, where I did a lot of stuff that wasn't Rivenstone, unfortunately, <laughs> and only fine. got to get away for a few seconds and ran over to the Broken Anvil uh, miniatures uh, booth that was lovely. Uh, it was it, it was pretty cool. It was cozy uh, and everything like that. I got to meet a couple of people yeah. that uh, I hadn't met before uh, and got to see some of the minis that they uh, had listed out there. And then just recently when we were looking at the pictures from their Gen Con pictures, I noticed a miniature in the background that I was like, wait a second, that was not there. There is no way <laughs> that I walked past that alt sculpt large uh, Oryx figure and did not see it. It has to have been photoshopped yeah. into those photos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the foot tall alternate sculpted Battlemaster. Yes, there is. There is <laughs> yeah. no way that Red missed this. I would have completely... <laughs> As I was saying earlier, I would have batted my baby browns <laughs> to try to get it, and they would have been like, get out of here. <laughs> that does not work. You are an old man. <laughs> but, Listen, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need that after the conscious. That's know, right. I've got, room, I've got room in the cards. <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I just, yeah, so it has to have been Photoshopped in there. They're going to come back and tell us it was not Photoshopped. I know they are. <laughs> And I'm going to feel really sad that I missed that. <laughs> um, oh, and the two other little things we've got. So if anybody cares, Dungeon Delvers is finally shipping. I got my shipping notification. So, hey, I'm scared. And, <laughs> and they're just leaving uh, you to a last mate. Make you sweat. Yeah, I mean, I, I did place my order like three months after everyone else and Hannah thought that the she had already closed the store, so <laughs> I wouldn't oh, no. be surprised. Uh, and then also on the competition side of things, we've got another name, the CUCAS machine. Uh, Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fallen. That hasn't started yet, has it? No, no. That's That'll be real cool. Hopefully we'll have more information for episode 16. Mm. So another thing that we should probably mention is the volunteer program uh, and how to sign up 
for potentially sign up for that. Uh, where can we find that information? Yeah, so in the Kickstarter updates, update number 29, titled Surveys and Late Pledges Close, in the middle of the article, uh, there's a link. It says Rivenstone Volunteer Program in Development, mm -hmm. uh, and it will take you to a Google form where you can uh, submit some information so that BAM can get in touch uh, once they've got a vol their volunteer program uh, figured out to help us support growing the community. Right. Yeah. What so we'll do is, what we can do as well is we'll put a link in the uh, show notes to most definitely. That, um, that document as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll get that cut into the show notes as well. And like if you're wanting to volunteer to do demos or anything like that in your local area, definitely go ahead and sign up for this. This is a way that we as a community can show our love and support for the BAM crew and help them grow this wonderful game. Uh, so 100%. make sure that you sign up for that if you want to be a part of the volunteer program in whatever form that will be, because this is just kind of a... A, a, a gauging interest kind of deal as they they start to set things up yeah 100 most definitely so um last episode uh we went over mother load uh and before this episode we all sat down because we hadn't done mother load in a long time and all that other stuff and tried to figure out what we we're going to do with this episode on how to do it so hopefully it follows along uh quite uh close to the way we did mother load so that we can continue on this series uh so this scenario is going to be machinations uh we'll go over it real quick with you Warbands frequently discover ancient mining equipment in the wilds, often with great amounts of Rivenstone sealed within nearby mines. With enough time and luck, innovation, innovative individuals can bring the mining machines back to life and extract the precious material. So in this one, uh, the setup is somewhat, um, we're going to need to explain a little bit of this. You've got three Rivenstone deposits uh, that are kind of uh, on a diagonal that cut across uh, a set of four objectives that are on another diagonal. Uh, so it kind of is like an X, uh, which is kind of cool for like the mining thing. Um, your first objectives, the one that's closest to you is going to be far up the board, short in the board. Uh, and then the next one is far and short up the board and far and close in the board. And then you would set uh, the other side the exact same way. With your Rivenstone deposits, if you end up looking in the rule book, you're going to notice something on the Rivenstone deposits that are off the diagonal. So the first Rivenstone deposit is far and medium up, far and medium in, so it's basically centered on the center of the table. The other two, you'll notice that you'll see long and close in, but you don't see an up measurement for it. That's because it's in line with objective B and on the other side, objective C. So it's far and short in, but you can also for, instead of the long close to set it off a board edge, it is medium off the center, uh, the center object or center ribbon stone. So when looking at this board, the first thing that we noticed was a lot of this is in the center of the board and you're going to be within medium range of almost any of these objectives uh, and ribbon stone deposits. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. 
but uh, continuing on. Hence the machinations. <laughs> yes, hence the machinations, yes. <laughs> the big old, big old mosh pit right in the center. Yeah. You'll deploy your barracks uh, within close range of your deployment edge, but not within far range of the side edges. So you get a little, so unlike the previous scenario, uh, you get some choices where your barracks is going to be uh, kind of like. Yeah, you uh, basically get a, get, a, get a 12 inch, 12 inch bubble in the middle of the board that mm-hmm. you can put your um, barracks on. Yep, exactly. Now for gameplay, uh, the gameplay on this one is kind of uh, a little bit intricate. You, uh, you're going to be able to do some ingenuity roles to interact with the objectives. Uh, the objectives are the mining equipment uh, that is laying on the battlefield, basically. And if you go up to it, you can make an ingenuity roll with a target number of one. So you only need one success to be able to start up that machine and basically take control of uh, that objective. Now, if an enemy is within close range of the objective, this will increase the target number by one for each enemy model that's in range. So you kind of want to make sure that nobody's uh, near it. Now, if you successfully interact, you'll place an exhaustion token on the objective and that objective is now yours. I would highly recommend like if you and your opponent both have exhaustion exhaustion tokens to try to use uh, some other type of token or mark your tokens in some way so you know who controls that objective because that is actually quite important. Uh, it's probably the, worth using like a colored bead or something and putting mm, it on the yeah. model that's holding the objective and the objective itself to sort of show what's going on. Yeah, because you also want to know which model is the model that activated that objective, because to get to uh, you lose control of the objective if that model moves further than short distance away from the objective or he dies, uh, your opponent cannot just take an objective. You have to do something with the model that controls the objective, either push them off the objective or kill them, and then you can try to interact and take the objective. Uh, So while that objective is under control, nobody else can take it. So that's kind of like an interesting uh, take on capturing a flag, basically. Mm. Yeah, uh, you're holding the keys to the mining equipment. You're exactly. <laughs> Give me the car keys, bro. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, so it's kind of an interesting uh, a scenario. Uh, during the fluxway phase, each of the objectives are worth two victory points. The victory conditions. This one is a three-round event, uh, just like the previous one. Uh, mother load and the player with the most victory points at the end is the winner. If you have the same number of points, the one with the most shards, which is your tie break, is your winner. If the result is the same, then finally the game is a tie. Uh, so this is a very, very interesting scenario. Uh, now we're going to kind of go over the tactics and I'm going to ask some questions for Reese and Spencer and everything like that. First off, for Reese, um, what Mm -hmm. do you, what is your first initial impressions of this scenario? Uh, uh, What do you think about it when you read a scenario like this? Um, geez. Okay. So the big, the big thing reading it is you're going to want something with a decent ingenuity to start capping objectives. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be one of those things where having, you know, like if your whole, uh, warband is brutes for Oryx, for example, you're probably going to be in for a bit of a hard time because you're on the ingenuity one. 
um, meaning as soon as an opponent ends up close, it sort of stops you from capping anything. Um, it also gets a bit mental when you look at things like um, Tale of Winter. There's a uh, one of the cards biting cold as you roll one less dice for ingenuity tests. So that's always going to be a fun little balancing fact. Um, like you guys, like we all mentioned at the start, though, is like the center of the board is like the juice, the mosh, mm-hmm. because it's like three Rivenstone deposits, two objectives, all super close to one another, clustered in the middle, and then you've basically got two outside objectives, which you can just you know send Timmy off to hold, um, and you know you throw one of your other, you hopefully throw one of your other dudes at your opponent's one to hopefully take it off of them that way. Um, but the Absolutely. big thing is like holding that center and holding your close objective uh, for as long as you can. Um, if there's any kind of like LOS block between your outside objectives and the center of the board, that's just going to save you a million because, you know, your one little dude can just hide off in the corner, you know, walk up cap, step back to short and then like against the board edge basically. Uh, and he's out of, out of, out of the danger close, which is good. But um, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, Making sure you can actually hold objectives is a big thing because uh, you wouldn't want to go into this with, you know, minimal ingenuity followers because then holding an objective is going to be a rough time for you. Right. Spencer, what are you thinking on army build? Like when you're initially looking well, at this and you're building your army to go, okay, I'm going to be playing machinations. <laughs> well, first, I have, a, I have a funny little story. All right. Because uh, <laughs> we just mentioned Brutes and the Tale of Winter. Well, I've yep. actually played the scenario on Tale of Winter with the minus one, in- <laughs> with the minus one ingenuity. So I went, whatever, I'm just going to run yep. all Brutes. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, so that's what I did. I had a Battlemaster, a Dragoon, and all Brutes. And they just walked up to the machines and kicked them and made them work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I won that game. Um. But yeah, so looking at this, so <clears throat> I think two things uh, need to be pointed out. One, look, especially compared to Motherload, which is like the introductory scenario, you are going to have way, way fewer shards on this scenario than you will on Motherload. Yes. Um, the the Rivenstone deposits are much further away, so they're much harder to get to, and they're all up in the scrum, so your stuff is going to die um so getting your shards is you're gonna have way fewer um also when it comes to your activation economy it's going to be different because unlike on normal scenarios where it's just a point or like a cat hold this point stand around it you actually have to spend actions in order to score your objectives so that's something you have to keep in mind is getting something to the point with an action left that you think has a reasonable chance of scoring or of capturing that point and we all know from rivenstone deposits that uh getting that getting that one point mm-hmm. you can't can't always count on it right <laughs> right red oh yeah most definitely <laughs> you cannot <laughs> Um, so, so those are, those are big points, uh, to think about when, when you're going into this scenario, uh, as far as like list construction, it's going to depend a lot on, like Reese mentioned earlier, your event deck. And if there's any modifiers to ingenuity roles or anything of that nature, um, as well as just your, like what models you have available. So your coalition. So there's going to be certain models in each coalition that are going to be 
better in a scenario like this where things are scrumming up in the middle around right. Rivenstone deposits and around scenarios. Yeah, I think um, we're I think we're looking at like look at your melee choices uh, a lot a lot closer in this one and less on your range choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um anything that can like anything that gets a boost from being around deposits or around scenarios or objectives, sorry, is is going to be a, a good choice because there's a lot all in a small area uh, and anything that can kill a bunch of stuff <laughs> in a small area is mm -hmm. also really good. So your battle masters, your drill masters, uh, exiled knights and um, their soldier buddies are really good. Um, yep. The what's her what's it called the seer is really good because it can just like zone out the whole middle of the board with mm -hmm, its yeah. exhaustion abilities um yeah. and then yeah. certain things aren't going to be as good like well mongers because getting up towards the deposits and keeping yourself alive in order to be able to interact with them is more difficult etc right. etc yeah i think but, melee melee is going to be good and then also look at your reactivators Things that can remove exhaustion tokens within leadership range, as well as your buffers. Things that give other models a bonus because you're going to be close enough to use those. Sure. Uh, anything else uh, that you could think of, Spencer? Ours is like super general stuff. Uh, I think that about covers it between what Reese said and, and my basic thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So... Let's start talking about general strategy because this scenario definitively is going to mess with your shard economy. It's also going to mess a little bit with your action economy, uh, as Spencer and Reese were both talking about. So developing our strategy in the beginning around where do you want your, I mean, obviously your gatherers are going to have to go towards Rivenstone deposits, uh, but where do you think you want to place them to be the most effective in this scenario? Spencer? Um, so, I mean, the, the middle and the closer uh, deposit are going to be like your best choices for your gatherers, particularly the, the one that's closer to your board edge. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, you want to make sure that your gatherers can also like one get that far up the board and be in the scrum. So things like fusiliers are good gatherers, but they're bad on this map. Yeah. Um, because they can't get into the action. Pretty much the only thing they can do is chill around your uh your initial um objective scenario. So objectives A and D, and uh, depending on terrain that that might not be a good spot for them so you want to make sure that whatever gathers you're using can also like hold their own up in the middle so like wardens are a really good choice instead for shattered empire because they're faster and they also have an ingenuity of two yep um they've so, also got a really good push mechanic which is great for knocking an opponent out of range of an objective <clears throat> for oh, sure yeah most definitely that's definitely good yeah, I'd, I'd like to see my gatherers. Yeah, typically I'm going to probably have as far back as I can, but still be within the range of the deposit close to me. Uh, so that's going to be my best deposit. But I think on this map particular, 
um, the person who's choosing board edge uh, because of the way terrain is set up. Uh, if you can get a piece of terrain that is going to help keep that gatherer a little a little more alive, uh, definitely choose choose that side of the map uh, if you can. Hmm. Now, uh, Reese, what do you think about? We talk about aggressive playing and setting up uh, for our mid game, and usually not mm -hmm. getting to an objective too quickly. But in this map. Uh, I'm thinking it may be different. What do you think uh, about grabbing objectives? I so the way I usually play this is your your deployment closest objective, so it'd be A or D depending on which side. I usually throw a dude at it, you know, on my second activation, because um, you know you get your first activation, then your opponent goes, you get to see where they're sort of going, and then from there you can plan. And also, second activation is a great place to do it because. If you're rolling hot for your flux, third activate or third turn is probably you know the first chance the round has to end, and you can at least get one dude scoring an objective. Um, the middle of your your closer center objective, so B or C depending on deployment side. Um, those ones are always an interesting one. I I tend to play them a little bit more aggressive at worst case to force my opponent to make a decision. Um, but at the same time, you can sit just back from them, like, you know, just within close to make them annoying to for your opponent to try and capture. And then you still have the ability to threat them that way. Uh, it also keeps you close to the Rivenstone deposits at that point, too. Um, but yeah, I think realistically from second turn you have in each round, you really need to be paying attention to those center objectives. And obviously, um, for, you can score your own home objective from your first activation if you wanted to, um, because unless your opponent's running something directly at you, it's unlikely they'll get to you in a, in a, you know, a timely manner, if that makes sense, to, to disrupt your play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any thoughts, Spencer? Uh, yeah, so I my goal is my first activation. I have scored uh, my two closest objectives. Um, I want to make a play for them super, super early because uh, I want to make sure that I'm in controlling them and you can't count on ingenuity rolls. So I want to make sure that if I flip a roll that I'm, I have time to get something over there to mm -hmm. score it in a later round. Um, so my first activation, I'm trying to score those first two objectives, uh, with whatever my first muster that I activate is. And, um, also it forces like your opponent to, to try to deal, uh, with them and gives me options, uh, to recover if they do, you know, say snipe it off with fusiliers or, uh, archers or something of that nature. Or a patrol runner runs over and does silly patrol runner shenanigans. <laughs> uh, 40, 47 inch movement. Yep. Yeah, or you or you spend five activations trying to just get <laughs> one of them to fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and and terrain is also going to be be pretty dependent. So I know the way we have this one set up on TTS, there's there's a pretty good uh, little hidey hole you can put your your stuff in when they're at your close scenario to, to help prevent, you know, getting sniped off, which is nice. Uh, it kind of forces your opponent to commit to, to take that point from you. Mm. Um, which is something I recommend for map builders. Cause like 
I don't know. I feel, I feel like those should be like kind of safe zones, and your your opponent should commit in order have to commit in order to be able to come take them from you. Yeah. Uh, but that's me. <laughs> um, Most definitely. Yeah. I think I think I, I agree with that. I think your like the A and D objectives, your home sent your home close objectives should have something to make it hard for your opponent to get to. Not impossible by any means, but you know, the, an opponent needs to be able to um or has to make a like a good committal, a good decision to start throwing things at those objectives um yeah it gives you it gives you your trickle your trickle victory points right yeah like uh, yeah i think like it it should it it should require a concerted effort not just uh i pointed that and it dies right Um, exactly yeah um yeah but my goal is because i can't count those ingenuity rolls i want stuff on those points as soon as possible and then my goal is to protect them Yeah. Uh, yeah and so protecting them can either come in the form of like you know, line troopers that are there to defend them, or more often than not, is protecting them by shoving other models into my opponent's face that they have to deal with. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I think I think taking the aggression is is a good call. Uh the first time the whole reason that we're talking about taking five activations to try to get one of these objectives is I failed a lot of activations trying to get one of these objectives in in a in a game. Uh so um I think early aggression is called for in in this scenario. Another way that this scenario messes with your activation economy though that you should be aware of is that you now have to take activations and attacks against a model that owns that objective, which is usually uh, a follower, somebody with decent ingenuity. Uh, You may not put a hero on there just because it's gonna waste an opponent's attack to attack a follower. Uh, if you put your hero grabbing that objective, even though they have good ingenuity, I already want to kill your hero for the bounty anyways. Uh, so so that's not wasting one of my activations. So I think typically if you can grab with followers. Yeah. And the, the other thing about uh, grabbing them with your heroes is that because of that uh, short range, that you can't move away or you lose the objective, it kind of tethers your mm-hmm. hero to a, a specific area of the board. And usually you want them to be more flexible and being able to roam around. And yeah, they need to be able to react to it more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, centralized threat goes in the center. Uh, one thing to note with this is that this scenario, because everything is very close to the center, the person who gets to go first. If they place their centralized that threat in a nice secured area guarding that center, you're walking into their threat range right off the bat trying to grab your your main objectives. So uh, I feel that this scenario does favor the aggressive player. It does favor the first player in that regard. Uh, so when you do with your opponents set up terrain and stuff like that, make sure that terrain is it makes a choice so that uh, you may have some protected areas to be able to come up uh, so that you're not getting too bullied uh, by first player. Unless um, they're Iron Guard. And yeah, and we're going we're gonna to definitely talk about the Iron Guard on this board. <laughs> because uh, I feel the Iron Guard have, a, have I feel both the Risen and the Iron Guard have uh, some good advantage in this scenario, but we'll talk about that uh, when we go into those. So let's talk about uh, mid and end round. Uh, uh, Reese, what is your general strategy as you're in the scrum, everything's uh, around you and everything like that? 
what kind of opportunities are you looking for in mid to end game to convert uh, convert objectives or or um, keep your keep yourself ahead of the curve? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so one thing I like to do is you're going to have a follower sitting on your home objective uh, as far away from combat as physically possible, um, so you can keep scoring your points. Um, your the the two central objectives are always an interesting one. I usually find it beneficial to put a hero on the furthest one away from your opponent just to sort of bait them into your army a bit more because um, I usually tend to deploy my barracks close to um, the my home objective just in case so, uh, an enemy model manages to get over there and cap it. I have less distance to run to get back to my home objective. Um and so having uh, the enemy sort of overstretch into my side of the board, as it were, um, the hero has a little bit more freedom to sit between, you know, the two Rivenstone deposits and the the, the your side central. Um, I usually tend to throw one or two followers at my opponent's home objective across the course of the game as well. Uh, I mainly play Risen, so for me, it's like having shamble move run on some Risen foot soldiers, and then the potential of hard to kill can make it really annoying for my opponent if I've just got like a couple of dudes sitting over near their home objective just being a pain um and then the 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 final objective is always an interesting one i the it's very rare that i um manage to hold all four if ever uh but having a, a cheap as follower just be there to again disrupt what your opponent's trying to do um but yeah realistically you're looking to hold mid mid to end. You're holding your own objective, holding one or both of the center objectives, and threatening your opponent's fire objective. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Spencer? Um, I very rarely mess with the opponent's fire objective. To be totally honest, uh, it's it's rare that I even bother with it. Um, usually I'll have like some some followers like on my close Rivenstone deposit which is close to their uh, far objective and if given the opportunity then you know they might make a little little run over there if, if I see you know a chance for them to do something but I, I very rarely mess with their stuff my my goal is mostly just control of uh, my close my two close objectives and then pressuring the last one trying to keep them from scoring it as well as working on quests and bounties um yeah so i i rarely mess with objective d uh yeah. because it's just it's so hard to uh to really impact now sometimes if i'm you know got some uh murder birds that you know move for like forever right. long then uh that's it. you know i might be able to make a play for it and stuff um and, and there's there's definitely been games where it came down to like i have to do something about this objective over here i'm gonna lose and I've, i and i've made something work but it's usually not like a priority for me right. um but if you can get a fast model uh on those rivenstone deposits then that's a good spot or something that has some range, like some uh, tunnel fighters. Mm -hmm. Tunnel fighters are a good thing because, you know, they can hop, hop, and then, you know, pop off a shot with a shard or something uh, right. if you need to, just to try to take out a take out a silly follower that's holding on to D. Uh, if there's a hero over on D, I don't know, 
cool. Your hero can chill there, man. Like I right. have those two points. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna control the rest of the board. Right. Um, what if that hero was a stone touch knight? Ooh. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, I was gonna say that's different. And I was gonna get into that when we talked about list building. Right, is, exactly. yeah, sure. is 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 if is if is if it's a three hero game. Your third hero should be a stone touch knight, and it should yep. just chill. Should just chill on that point, yep. like period. It's yep. a good stuff. Like that's just that just is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Some of the some of the things that I've been looking at with this scenario specifically is I actually like uh, looking at what they did place on their home objective. If they've just got one over there, I might send a couple of dudes over, uh, like eke them around to the edge and they make a bolt for their their for their back objective to try to have their objective and my objective as my two all uh, scoring objectives because when you're in the center of the scrum one thing to note about this mission in particular there is no contesting uh like it once they hold it that's theirs until you take it mm -hmm. from them or you right. take them off of it and so like i like flooding the center of the board with as many followers within close range of the objectives as possible because if i can kill their objective holder it makes that objective neutral and then anybody trying to take that objective is getting pluses to their target number for every single enemy that's in there so if i can flood sure. it if I can flood it, I can keep them from taking those any of those objectives. And then I just need to concentrate on AD uh, and just score D even once uh, to put me ahead. Um, so that's kind of something that I look for. Unless you're playing against Iron Guard. Unless you're playing, yes. <laughs> which, of course, we will we will talk about. Now, one thing we didn't talk about, though, uh, which Reese, I think uh, you mentioned it, is barracks positioning yes what are we thinking about just in general barracks positioning not specific because i think iron guard changes this but uh what do you think about general barracks position uh, are you because you've got that 12 inch bubble that you can line it in mm. i like i said i usually tend to lean mine towards the as a as a risen player at least lean mine towards my home objective just in case okay um but Having played uh, Iron Guard on this uh, map or Shattered Empire on this map as well, I tend to lean it closer to the nearest Rivenstone deposit um, because for Iron Guard, it's a lot easier to then get in range of it to start mining and for things like your Weldmonger scoring secondaries. Uh, and then for Shattered Empire, it just means your coalition starts going off sooner. Right, right. So, yeah, because the your home objectives are on one side, your home Rivenstone deposit is on the other side. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense, depending on who you're facing. Uh, what do you think, Spencer? Uh, I usually line my barracks up with my second uh, objective. So, like, B or C. Yep. Uh, and that usually, <clears throat> usually gets my models within a medium move of a that they can still have a uh, action to interact if i need to get somebody over there from the barracks and then also puts me in good uh centralized position to deal with the center of the board which is my focus yeah that makes sense uh i think in wasn't it our game 
uh, I ended up placing towards Rivenstone and regretted it. I was playing Oryx, if I remember correctly, and I regretted it because I didn't have the speed to get to my own home objectives. Um, Likely, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think the way Reese is looking at it with uh, towards home or towards uh, Rivenstone, I, I think it really depends on who you're playing. Uh, so when we go into the individual factions, we'll talk about where they think they want their barracks. Because I think Iron Guard, because it moves, changes things. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Iron Guard doesn't have to worry about their positioning as much. Yeah. Um, and I think like. Or yeah, whatever your faction barracks is can can change some stuff because like Shattered Empire, if you really need to, you can spin a short shard and pop somebody out onto a Rivenstone deposit. Mm-hmm. And then so you don't need to be as close necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. And Oryx can pop somebody out towards the opponent's objective, just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. Like, yep, uh, that is totally a thing. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind, too, is what barracks can do, uh, watching those title fighters and and different things that can cause problems for your own home objective is also something that you want to keep keep track of in here. So let's go into the coalitions. Uh, we're going to start off with Oryx with Spencer. Uh, so what do you think, uh, the Oryx war party, when you are looking to play this mission with the Oryx war party, what are you thinking? Um, so my first choice is my go-to, um, scout build, which is the headhunter tour, two flingers and a group of Carnotarics. Um, or two Carnotarics and a group of Flingers, depending, but on this particular scenario, two Flingers, because we need those uh, Ingenuity rolls. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my, my goal is mostly just to, you know, have my Flingers on objectives and on Rivenstone deposits, and then my Carnotarics are, aka Murderbirds. Can't believe I actually said the word Carnotarics. I'm right. really mad at myself. I'm really mad at myself now. Chris, <laughs> when you when you listen to this, I'm mad at you. I'm very, very, I'm very disappointed. Um, and yeah, and they're they're just flying around making tour and the headhunter uber uber deadly. And my goal is to kill everything. Um, and with like the headhunter's so good on this scenario with her push mechanic on the range attack where she can just smack people off of like point c really easy and uh if she needs to or she can just you know kill them if it's a follower yep and tor just kills things because that's what tor does that's what tor does yeah and so uh i really really like that build unless uh, we're running into a situation where our we've got the tail of winter and our ingenuity is subtracted, and then I just like running with my brute list because um, if my ingenuity is going to go down to one anyways, might as well run the biggest nastiest things I can with ingenuity one. Yeah, uh, and they're also tankier, so it's harder to kill them off of the objectives uh, and take them off, which is really nice. And battle masters are really good on this scenario because they're gonna be there's gonna be a big scrum in the middle, and they cleave and kill stuff, and which is great. Yeah, they're and, they're they're really good at the scrum. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff grouped up 
around the middle. So getting two kills with your Saberfang Dragoon is also pretty easy to score his yeah. quest. So it facilitates both their quests pretty well. So I, I like, <clears throat> yeah, so those are both two two pretty good options uh, for Oryx. And then you can always just take your starter box list because it's like half of both of those lists and still do fine. Yeah, but yeah. um, mostly just like pretty much every Oryx strategy, it's getting your opponent's face and kill things and try not to die. <laughs> and I, I think the, I think the dragoon gets a little bit of a bonus in here because he's the melee saber cat. Uh, I, I think he performs pretty strong in this in this scenario. I agree. Yeah, and also like if you do need to make that run for you know the far point, he's got his pounce yep. for the extra for the extra zoom, which is nice. Um, yeah, and he just he just threats really far, yep. which uh, can be scary, and and he hits mm. like a truck. So taking all that in, uh, Reese, how would you, if you are setting up against Oryx, uh, what are you thinking? Oh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a difficult one because it all wants to murder you and it all wants to get to the middle. Um, it, terrain's going to be a big thing. Um, obviously, if you can keep as far away but still relevant as possible is a thing, but it's like I said, it's very difficult, especially against the headhunter list, for example. Um, you can't sit as far away from an objective as possible and hold it because then she just needs to hit you, basically. Right. Uh, and then you'll get bumped off because, um, you know, well, there's 40% chance she'll get a push. Um, yeah. And if she doesn't kill you, she just she has to bump you a millimeter and you're no longer holding that objective. So you you almost need to hug objectives when against a headhunter. And then that just means you're way too close to the rest of the list. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess with that one, um, against the Oryx, just in general, I would probably play more about getting at least something onto your opponent's side so they have to commit. But at the same time, you almost want to commit everything physically possible to the middle. Um, but it's just, it's a hard one because, yeah, mm -hmm. unless you're looking at the board, knowing where everything is and how far you need to stay away or near things um, is difficult when the Oryx just pump out damage. Yeah. And so you're going to need to, you're going to need to be super careful on that to see how, um, you know, dangerous the list is going into you. Um, if I was playing like, uh, Shattered Empire, it's Dream because all of the Rivenstone deposits in the middle. Um, but if I was playing Risen or Iron Guard or anything else, you need to pay a little bit more attention to where things are um, and how you can disrupt what they want to do to you. Absolutely. And I think you're going to expect, always expect the ambush in this one. Uh, I, I think they are going to be ambushing with their barracks uh, quite often to disrupt mm. your your backfield game and you're absolutely right with the with the headhunter like you've got to watch that push uh so in in this scenario you're basing objectives staying in front of objectives trying to keep that push away i really need to get yeah. better at using ambush because i forget it exists i think i've used it yeah. twice and twice <laughs> but it's like for example in all the games the, um... i've ever played <laughs> right because like on the ambush on the ambush front the tactic i mentioned earlier about having you know one of your dudes hold your home objective and then 
stand as far back as possible means that they are within one inch of a board edge and within nine inches for an enemy to pop up there as well. Right. So the am- the ambush is, especially if it's a brute, for example, the brute can literally just appear standing right next to you and kill you with the free attack sh- free attack action from an ambush. And then when it goes, can just move and interact with your home objective. Right, because that, um, yeah. that home so- objective is only short from the edge of the board exactly and i mean you might not even need to move to be honest because you deploy an inch and then you have oh no you'd be slightly out of oh is it close to interact or is it tight to interact so you would need to bump a little bit but yeah yeah but it's Uh, like yeah it it, it depends on what your where your model is because shorts only two inches and uh and you've got a you got a base size is one yes yeah, 1.5 inches so yeah <laughs> yeah but also yeah. brute charge for free so mm. even if you're outside of their ambush attack range then they can pop in and then charge you for free kill you yep. and then and then interact yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so so brutes and ambush from the ancient gateway is kind of terrifying on this object oh, on this um scenario yeah so definitely keep your eyes out for that uh because you don't want to get uh caught off guard uh from there all right reese so let's go into your baby the risen i am i am keen now that i own a bunch of risen to hear your thoughts on how to play risen uh in this scenario uh so uh, spencer actually hit a hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier mentioning the carnal seer so the carnal seer is brilliant in this in this mission because he can just sit more or less in the middle of the board and his exhaustion um so his uh oh is it called leech life i forget man it's been so long since i've looked <laughs> i think i think that's his i think leech life is that's his attack, attack isn't it yeah yeah so, hang on risen don't mind me i totally remember everything about this <laughs> there we go um his <laughs> uh calls uh, enfeebling aura there you go so once per turn at the start of its activation you can burn a vigor to exhaust an enemy model um, within leadership range so by default he starts off with a long leadership range and when he infuses a far leadership range and it has to happen at the start so as soon as you can get him threatening the entire center of the board with that it's terrifying because then it's like you need to go to either you know start getting your crump on in the middle of the board or to mine or to you know interact with that objective you couldn't quite get in range of or there was an enemy model there or whatever and if he goes, he can just put an exhaustion marker on the thing that you need to activate and then score victory points off of it, um, you know, with, with because it's actually his secondary there. So, yeah, he's he's really good for that. Um, I actually really like the Master Nightblade on this mission, too, because all of the Riverstone deposits being so close means there's probably an enemy model within close range of one of them. Um, mm-hmm. and you can just exhaust it with poison the well, score your points. And also the 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 Nightblade's fantastic with his thrown dagger and how fast he is to get into things to kill them, and then you know, you can have a risen foot soldier follow up and interact with the objective that you know the master nightblade is just clear to dude off of because his dagger does so much damage. Um he rolls so many dice in his melee as well, he's super fast. Um, I mean, sure, he's squishy, but he's a knight, but he's only worth one victory point, so who cares? Um, right. You can honestly just throw him away to do that, because if you can get him in range to poison the well and to kill a model to score you an objective, then he's paid for himself. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he's really good. But yeah, Carnal Seer and um, Master Nightblade are fantastic. Corum is good on this one as well, because again, he gets to sort of sit in the middle of the board. 
the things like Master Necromancer, where all of your risen uh, followers, your undead followers, are now automatically focused, um, is brilliant for him. Uh, and then obviously you can do the same exhaustion mechanic with Corum, uh, kind of that the Carnal Seer can do um, with his dark studies. So you can just interrupt your opponent's exhaustion um, uh, cycling, and you know just completely screw with their activation mechanics. Because if they're like, I need to activate with this, you just walk up and go no. Uh, and then, you know, he just does his own things that way. Um, Knight of Exile Order, again, things need to... The, the, the funny thing is all of the Risen heroes are really good in this right. mission because the Knight of Exile Order just needs to sit there and activate and have dudes attack in his uh, leadership range. And if he's crumping in the middle of the board, so is the rest of your army, basically. Uh, and it means that, you know, as long as you make two melee attacks within nine inches of him, um, when he's infused or six inches if he's not, it's like, you know, score victory points. And he wants to be in there anyway because he does so much damage. Um, and so he can really hold that that central board. Uh, Risen followers are great. This is a mission where I would literally just run foot soldiers for days, though. Oh, most definitely. Um, because, because shamble, move, run um, gets you in range of just about everything. Um, automatically focused uh, within range of quorum uh, means that your ingenuity rolls are automatically focused uh, when you're trying to go for your objectives. Um, all of your heroes are, are like decent um, in that central board. So Risen actually, I think, does really well in this. And like I was saying before, like earlier about my tactic about trying to disrupt your opponent's home objective, again, um, uh, shamble, move, run for a Risen foot soldier. Or if you've done that and then you... Um, use your barracks action to rise off of them. Uh, you've got another dude within range, or if Quorum kills a dude on an objective, you can use his um, uh, Burn of Vigor to spawn a dude out and then just have, be sitting on the objective already. So yeah, the, the, the Risen play really well into Machinations. Yeah. yeah I, also, also hard to kill can be the most frustrating. It in the can game. be very <laughs> frustrating. Yes, it ever can. On this scenario. <laughs> yeah, I think I think in this scenario, having a two ingenuity follower that wants to be in the center and four uh, heroes that all actually love this because they can fulfill their support roles really well. You know, expert mm -hmm. commander, just getting rid of exhaustion tokens off of things, adding exhaustion tokens, wins a remorse, killing a dude to down an objective, Spawn a spawning yep. <laughs> a dude and then taking said objective. Like it's, I, I think Risen just have a really good time in this scenario. Like, I, I don't think mm. they hate this scenario in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's no. great. I've, I've played this scenario as Risen, and I don't even remember what my second hero was. It was probably Master Nightblade, because <laughs> me and the Master Nightblade just don't get along. I, I, I cannot figure out how to use that hero. But I literally just, I ran the entire board with just my Knight of the Exiled Order. Like, he mm -hmm. was just... Yeah ridiculous he ran the whole board the whole game it was crazy yeah yeah so hey sorry. playing against risen in this mission now that we know that they are just really good uh on this mission uh spencer what do you think are some things uh that a opponent should look at for playing against them uh man it really depends on their list uh <laughs> so if they're running the annoying control list which is the seer and the nightblade you really have to be careful about your positioning and like what you're activating and and when in order to deny those victory points because if you can deny their quests then you're in a good spot it's just hard to do against the 
the Nightblade specifically because you need Rivenstone deposits uh, or you need shards. So just trying to manipulate because the Nightblade brings in this whole extra aspect of manipulating the uh, the deposits that gets super crazy um, that you like. It's a whole nother mini game that you have to play <laughs> uh, for both players. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, you'd think I would like the Nightblade because I really like that that type of stuff. <laughs> but me and me and the Nightblade just don't get along. Right. Um, and then the the Charnel Seer, like it's less of a big deal with your followers, so you can be a lot more aggressive with your followers against the Seer. Um, because Seer is not exactly a scary model on its own, but you have to be careful with your heroes. Uh, and the reason that that's the case is because the the Seers can only gain victory points if your model has stamina left. So they have to yeah. be able to get an exhaustion token for it to score. So once you activate your followers and they have an exhaustion token, they're safe from that. But your heroes, on the other hand, um, not so much. So I've had to like sit there and like position my battle master like just outside its range. And then I'm like, I'm not scared of you killing my battle master seer because you suck at killing things. And then I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, as that it creates a whole another dynamic. Um, yeah, and trying to be aggressive on that seer before it's able to infuse is important. Um, because it yeah, it's it's, extra... it's hard to it's hard to see how powerful a uh, twelve inch bubble off of a sixty mil base is in this <laughs> in this mission until you yeah. place it down and you go oh wow because yeah, yeah that... any any model within twelve inches of the seer when he's infused is at risk of being exhausted before it can do anything. Yeah, that extra three inches of a bubble bubble makes a big difference because when the bubble's nine inches, I can put a battle master just outside of it and still be within ch uh, charge range yep. of a seer. And twelve inches, I cannot do that. Um, also, bringing range stuff is useful uh, for for that exact situation as well. Uh, then on the flip side, if they're running like the Quorum uh, Master Nightblade situation. Quorum, there's not really much you can do about it. You're just going to have to eat those uh, exhaustion tokens. But the good thing is, is it core doesn't just immediately score victory points. Mm. So um, he still has to make that ingenuity check. And Quorum and the Nightblade both really rely on, on the followers to do stuff. So my goal is the same as whenever I'm facing that list and it's kill all the followers. Yep. Uh, which, funnily Makes enough, sense. is a very easy way to deal with Risen as a whole. Right. If you can kill all their followers, they, they can struggle. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work when the Charnel Seer's on the board mm. because the Charnel Seer can bring them back so easily. Right. Because, like, one action, two more pop out. It's like, oh, they're back. <laughs> and they don't yep. have exhaustion tokens. And, uh, okay, cool. Uh, great. Yep. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, so yeah, it, it, it's very... Like those two lists play very, very differently, and you have to play very differently into them. Yeah, and this this scenario is I really think Risen are pretty strong on this. Like uh, I think this scenario really sets them up pretty well. I agree. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the next coalition. Uh, Spencer, tell me how we want to play our Shattered Empire colonists into this. Uh Shattered Empire pretty much does what they normally do, <laughs> which is turtle <laughs> until your <laughs> until your opponent comes into range and then you kill stuff. Um, 
Yeah, and it like around scenario, uh, like in the middle of the board where there are so many Rivenstone deposits, like your stuff's super strong. I like uh, depending on like what I'm going into, I might run Belcroft uh, because that I think he's really good on this scenario because the minus to the ingenuity, just like if you can get him in the center of the board and keep him alive, he you, your opponent is gonna hate Belcroft so much so much <laughs> because he's going to cover all the Rivenstone deposits. He's going to cover, you know, both of those uh, scenario objectives with minus ingenuity and your opponent is going to hate him. Uh, yep. And, yep. And then when he just sits there and he's a turret, he just kills minions and eats their shards, which they don't have a lot of in the first place because the scenario makes it difficult to get into positions to mine. He's terrifying. Um, so, and then you can just have a shard knight sitting on the other point, just scoring you objectives <laughs> or on one of the points, uh, but preferably the far point, like it sucks. It's such a strong model is basically just out of the game, but he's just sitting there scoring and like he's saying, telling your opponent, you're going to have to come commit stuff to deal with me all the way across the board or you're in trouble. Was you meaning um, was you meaning Stone Touch Knight instead of the Shard Knight or was you meaning Yes, yes, oh, okay. SDK Stone, Stone Touch yeah. Knight, Stone Touch Knight, yeah. Shard Knight's also not bad. I've I've run him on this <clears throat> scenario as well. Um cuz he can like go up to point A, drop a thing and then run over to point B and drop a thing and then kind of chill in the middle and just be like I'm a big scary dude. Yeah. Um which yeah, so he he's pretty good too. Patrol runner can go and like deal with their their point D as well as threaten their barracks and score quests and just do annoying patrol runner stuff. Cause man, I love that model. I love that model so much. <laughs> yeah, patrol runner's a sweet model. <laughs> I really do. I didn't think I would like it uh, when I first saw it, but then after putting on the board, like it's one of my favorite models in the game it's yeah. yeah i hated it when i first played it because i was trying to use it like i use most of my heroes to try to like deal with other heroes patrol runner sucks at dealing with heroes she's <laughs> she's great at murking followers though yeah. um so for for other lists that rely on followers like risen and iron guard like certain iron guard lists uh she's great at just being a massive pain in the butt um yeah, I love Belcroft on this one. <clears throat> Stone Touch Knight, I pretty much don't make a, uh, uh, a SE list without running a Stone Touch Knight. And then, like, if I'm running three hero, uh, probably grabbing a patrol runner, but I think Shard Knight's a good call, too. Mm, yeah. Uh, just kind of kind of depends on how you're feeling. If you want to have an, an annoying little buzzing bee roaming around, or if you want to stick, you know, a Shard Knight in the middle with your Belcroft, and you're just like, two giant armor dudes like come at me bro um that's that's a super fun thing to do as well as far as followers go like i said wardens uh i probably run on this one i probably run two wardens one line trooper uh and the the goal is wardens are up in the scrum and line troopers are just protecting your dudes from whatever melee stuff your opponent brings yeah that makes sense yeah so for this one this this seems pretty pretty cut and dry that we want Belcroft and the Stone Touch Knight as our primary list for this mission. Uh probably, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. And then for Oryx, uh your head hunter and one of the either Saberfang or Tor is what we would think for that one. 
Uh, so like I said, you, you, my primary list for Oryx is going to be the scouts. So tour headhunter and then flingers. flingers and birds. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then uh, in the event that you're running into uh, a tail of winter minus one ingenuity scenario, then you swap over to the brutes list. Yeah, but that would be the only reason to really swap over to the Bruce list. Yeah, other than just having fun because it's a fun list. True, true. Yeah, yeah. But and and risen, <laughs> risen. You can play. There's two different real lists that you play there. Uh, yeah. The the you core, can play whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, risen is just like it's pretty open. But you're primarily taking foot soldiers. You probably are not taking wolves or or, or archers into this one. Uh, you're just soldiering yeah, up w- w- wolves definitely not um no. you you need ingenuity followers to be able to um capture the objectives yeah um and like wolves wolves are cool like i actually really appreciate the wolves i do mm-hmm. like running them on things like mother load and um oh, i forget the name of the other one i've enjoyed it on but i'll figure it out eventually <laughs> um but yeah like you're you're not going to get much out of them in this mission because you need to be holding objectives with things that can actually you know interact with them Right, exactly. Archers, archers are risen foot soldiers that can't shamble, uh, and right. they just have a ranged attack. So, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah, the well, hero package is just flavor to taste. Like they, I think they have the mm-hmm. most flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I think wolves are okay on this scenario if you're running the nightblade list because then you they can. They're not going to score you anything, but they're really good for pressuring that far opponent's point, which doesn't get mm. pressured a lot. I think um, I think so. wolves are amazing on this scenario, but <laughs> we're going to talk about that when we talk about wild predators. <laughs> yeah, yeah since in that instance, it's a very different story. Right, exactly. All right. So uh, playing against uh, Shattered Empire, what are you thinking, Reese? Oh man, um, I hate preach on Belcroft as a just an emotional thing. Um, it causes <laughs> spiritual damage almost. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's the the big thing is there's always going to be an STK. The STK is going to be on their fire objective. You need to do something about it. You need to knock him off. You need to kill him. You need to have oh, something God. over there disrupting him as much as possible. Otherwise, it's just five victory points a turn yeah. or round. Sorry, um, and it's so painful when like so you need to commit a good deal to that and then from there it's going to depend on what's in the middle of the board like if it's bellcroft it's just going to be a tough time to interact with things and like spencer mentioned like basically the start of this it's like you're going to be running on very few shards as a whole so you need to have um you know as many chances to get shards as physically possible and if bellcroft's sitting there making your life pain then it's just going to be just going to be pain in general um shard knight he's a he's a he's a fun choice i do like him on this mission as well but i i, I love bellcroft for the pure disruption of it um mm-hmm. and he, he you know we're, we're just mentioning then is like you know the fact that you're running on a few shards bellcroft interferes with your enemy's shards as well mm-hmm. so you really need to be careful when there's a Bellcroft, and my honest opinion, Bellcroft STK is a great scouting party for this because Bellcroft sits in the middle, STK sits on home, um, and you know mayhem ensues basically because your opponent just has to keep up. 
Um, right. They have to get to your home objective, and Belcroft, you know, he's got a short range melee attack that's not bad, and he's just interfering with your shard economy from there. Um, yeah, it's 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 bonkers. <laughs> it, it's in in this scenario against Shattered Empire, it's hashtag Belcroft must die. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the, the big thing then as well is remembering that the whole game is basically centered on that that central focus point where all the Rivenstone is and Shattered Empire Colony are auto-focused on defense when near Rivenstone. Yep. So mm-hmm. they become super tanky. They become super tough. And it's like the weakest thing they have is their Stone Touch Knight sitting on the home objective, but you need to do something about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. This is- yeah, it's 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 an uphill battle to be in all honesty. Um, but yeah, Belcroft must die is the the main sentiment if Belcroft's on the board, um, and STK must die if STK is on the board, which he he really should be if you're playing Shattered Empire on this. Yeah, game. you need a solution for STK being on the objective, uh, but Belcroft mm-hmm. must die. I think this is one of those times where. I am actually pushing heavier on D, uh, the their objectives. Like I'm pushing, like I'm even pushing heroes towards it, because if I can kill them off of that objective and somehow get between Stone Touch Knight getting back to their two objectives, like in, in other words, I establish a beachhead. Uh, that does make it a little bit easier, or, or takes a little bit of that Stone Touch Knight's uh, scoring pressure off of me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Until he spawns out of a barracks and charges your uh, Dragoon and scores four victory points. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Sad trumpet noise. (laughs) This is why you throw throw the poor wolves in front of him and let them die. Uh, Or uh, if you're an Oryx, you just throw some chump blockers. (laughs) Get in the way, boys. Uh, but still, yeah. All right. Uh, let's move into Iron Guard, which I think Iron Guard is the strongest on this scenario. Uh, Reese, what are we going to look at when playing Iron Guard? You're running a drill master. That's your first pick. <laughs> first pick hero in this scenario is a drill master. Must always be a drill master. Forevermore is a drill master. <laughs> Um, from there, you can honestly. Uh, the only thing I'm I'm not a huge fan of is the Weldmonger in this mission, purely because it it's it requires like that chain of events to you know you need to harvest with your dudes and and everything needs to be pretty danger close. And when everything is in the middle of the board, you're just running the risk of feeding your your Weldmonger to your opponent unless you can sit him back as far as possible, which is okay. But then your followers are danger close to the middle of the board. Um, and so scoring off of him is difficult. I think Hobart... I, I, okay. I, I like to throw in one thing about the Weldmonger is mm-hmm. the only thing about the Weldmonger, though, on this scenario is that he he does give you additional interact actions true, which, true. Can, which can be really good so i think he's viable you just have to play him different yeah and i, I was um, gonna say the only other thing that I, I i really rate with the world monger is drop hammer um being able to punt people off of objectives is great but it's because of the the way that you need to have followers around a rivenstone deposit and your world monger within range to score his secondary um, and he's not exactly like uh, most most Iron Guard are fairly tough, but he's when you can just kill the dudes that he's going to rely on to harvest to score his secondary, then he loses a lot of worth that way. But no, I agree. The um the additional interact action for him is is really good for that. 
Um, Drill Master, though, to, to quickly mention to explain why he's amazing. Uh, his secondary territorial is when he destroys an enemy model that's close to a Rivenstone deposit or a friendly Iron Guard barracks, he gains a victory point. So when there's three Rivenstone deposits directly across the center of the board, um, and everyone needs to be fighting around them, every time he pops somebody, he scores a victory point. Whether it's a follower, whether it's a hero, it doesn't matter. As soon as something explodes from him near a Rivenstone or your barracks, which, again, the Breachhead can move up to a point, um, then he scores points. And yeah, it, it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, he's he's scored four victory points for me in one turn before from murdering a bunch of followers. So it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And the, just... the, the big thing as well with him is because of breakthrough, no matter what the yep. uh, terrain looks like, he still just gets to run to the middle of the board and just start causing mayhem. Yeah. And if he's infused, a medium medium move means he just threats so yep. far and with breakthrough you can't hide from him it's terrifying yep. and he's three stamina when he infuses as well so there's three chances every round for him to just butcher dudes and score points <laughs> yeah um but yeah i i actually really like the drill master and dredge boss on this mission because of the work order um secondary that the dredge boss has um and because it gives you that that gives you that little shuffle movement uh, so anybody who doesn't know, it's like the work order is an action. You burn a vigor to exhaust a friendly Iron Guard follower within medium. Yeah, medium, because uh, it's his leadership. Uh, it then gets a free walk and a free interact. And if you harvest and don't die, you score victory points, um, which when you your Rivenstone deposits are quite far away from um, where everything's spawning, having that free move with the free interact is pretty handy. And you can also okay. use that interact on the on the objectives. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so you can harvest harvest with the free interact, which scores the points, or you can go for the objective and potentially score the the scenario points. Um, I also really appreciate the raise that the um, the Iron Guard have in this mission because when everything's clustered up in the middle, having the ability to just draw lines through enemies and just blow them apart is great. And the dredge boss has his pepper box. Um, uh, which you can do for free for a vigor as well, and then obviously you've got your tunnel sweepers, which can all you know beam up people with their flamethrowers too. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then Hobart I like because he has his pull, so you can pull people off of objectives with his harpoon gun. Yeah, yeah. and with uh, with everything being centered around these Riven stone deposits, it's really easy for Hobart to score his secondary. Yep, because he just needs to kill and interact, which is super easy when he stands on a Rivenstone deposit, kills somebody, and then interacts. <laughs> yeah, yep, or you we'll blow it up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I like the Weldmonger, but it's probably my lowest choice for um, uh, heroes for Iron Guard, um, just because of how you need to play with it. Uh, Followers-wise for Iron Guard, I kind of like them all for different reasons. The, the mining operators, I mean, you kind of want them for their consistency to interact uh, and in a matchup for example against Shattered Empire it means Ingenuity 3 goes Ingenuity 2 which is still good um, but I like Tunnel Sweepers and I, and I love Tunnel Fires Tunnel Fires are probably like next to Risen Foot Soldiers are probably my favorite follower group in the game um, and Sweepers having that ray that they can just beam out across the game uh, in the center of the board is fantastic 
Yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong with the the followers' choices on on here, and like the hero choices. This is just kind of like risen. Now, risen, you have to build like this list or this list. I think with Iron Guard, it is the only wrong choice is no drill master. Like, like that's the only you have been incorrect, sir. You needed this. <laughs> like, I think if you choose drill master, then past that, it's just flavor to taste, whatever the heck you want. Uh, I do th I do think something that is worth considering though at least at this point in time with wave one is that doing and this is pretty much just for iron guard in general uh drill master dredge boss lists don't work because the only followers you can take is your operators mm. oh so yeah that is something to 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 watch out for uh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense a lot. Uh, yeah, so the, the five followers is always going to be an interesting dance, <clears> I think, with, especially with Iron Guard. It always it always feels weird when I've done. I'm like, I want to play these heroes. Then I've looked at their favorite followers. God, never mind. I'll change this one to something else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you look you look at the Iron Guard. You're just like, oh yeah, they're, they're all the same type. And then you look at their keywords and go, oh wait, nope, never mind. I'm going to need to shuffle this around. <laughs> yeah i think um my, my favorite list for for iron guard on, on this scenario is drill master hobart uh but i do also like i've run drill master weldmonger and done well as well I, I do like that list uh i haven't i personally haven't run the dredge boss on this list on this uh <laughs> on this yet so. right i i think i would want access to at least a unit of tunnel fighters to do a signal round or have the potential of signal rounds. Um, I do really do like the, the, the dredge boss. Uh, like I, I might go nothing but operators, uh, but uh, I do like the dredge boss because of you got hitch a ride and work order. So like you could get up yeah. really, really good with those, uh, with those two to, to, to get an interact uh, on a, on a further up objective, especially on that, very very first turn one where you're not getting your your coalition spawn gets to move kind of bonus right so yeah i, I do like the dredge boss in here uh as well yeah so spencer how would you fight them what what do you need to watch out for besides drill master <laughs> that's, that's, despite the kool-aid man running through the middle of the board going oh yeah with all right. the drill fingers that's that's legitimately the thing you're you're playing the entire game around that drill master's threat range yep. like you spend the whole game just being like where can this drill master go and the answer is anywhere at once mm -hmm. oh, especially if they, especially if you spend a couple of turns moving the breach head up yeah <laughs> yeah then then if it pops out it's just absolutely terrifying um he is definitively the centralized threat of this entire oh. mission. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, and that's why like, that's why I like the Hobart list. Cause Hobart can sit in the middle and like do his Hobart things and like cause disruption and kill stuff and score quests. And your drill master is just sitting there hiding behind a wall being like, I dare you come, come closer. Yep. Come, please <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, and so you kind of just have to play that risk reward. Uh, I think trying to kill like 
And that's another reason why I like the Weld Wanderlist is because the VP count is so low that if you can just score like a couple bounties, then uh, you're you're going to be doing really well because they're not going to be scoring much uh, against you, even if they kill the Drillmaster or the Weldmonger. Uh, but if a Hobart or the Dredge boss is on the board, it's like, OK, I, I need to kill one of them because I need I need those bounties and to uh, to try to minimize, you know, how much bounty your opponent's going to get off of you. And so yeah. a lot of that's going to be, you know, you just can't have models around the the Rivenstone deposits except for like your closest Rivenstone deposit uh, for the most part. Because then if the Drillmaster comes in on them, like maybe you have two models over there, you might be able to kill them, get two victory points, and then you counter kill and get mm -hmm. one. Um, it just has to have them out of position. So, yeah, it's it's tough, man. <laughs> like Iron Guard is super <laughs> scary, and then if then then if they move up the uh, their barracks, and then late game, like they pull off a dwarf swarm, and then they just pop out and run over, run everywhere, and then like can't score stuff without killing a billion uh, little dwarves, or they pop out and they're just like a whole slew of them or in range to you know interact with an objective so you know they're going to score that objective like it gets it gets real scary yeah real real scary absolutely absolutely all right so moving on from the dwarves because we know that they are uh super strong uh let's go ahead and move into the last coalition which of course everybody keeps reminding me is not in wave one but it's my favorite coalition and since we spoiled it, we're going to continue to talk about it. Because <laughs> we all know what it does. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and I think I think this is pretty straightforward, what it's going to do. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of choices. But Spencer, let's talk about Wild Predators. Uh, I get to talk about the Beastie Boys. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, so Wild Predators, so you're, you're really limited on your list. You can either run Terrestrial Fiends or uh dragoon or tour and mm -hmm. so wh whatever you put on the board is worth a lot of bounty yes <laughs> so that's an important consideration is making sure you're not giving up uh, a bunch of victory points by uh poor positioning and then as you mentioned earlier uh your wolves are going to be uh super super good on this one mm -hmm. because no matter what heroes you take you can take wolves and they're going to have ingenuity too. All of a sudden, they get they get real smart, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. they can they, <laughs> they can they can threaten the whole board uh, if they're around other beasts. Which you probably want to be running like two wolves, one Carnotarix, maybe, because um, there's not much of a reason to run brutes or flingers uh, on this particular scenario. Right. Uh, if you run if you're running one of the if you're running tour. Mm. Um, if you're running the Dragoon, I don't know if you take a unit of Brutes or you just go f all wolves. I think you just go all I wolves. I think you go all wolves. I think you just to go be all Yeah, I think you just go all wolves. <laughs> I, um, I honestly think in this one in particular, I do want a Terrestrial Fiend for Terrestrial Imps. Yeah, Imps are super good. And then also, like, there's going to be... Uh, I mean, you've got three terrain features right smack dab in the exactly. middle around, <laughs> around some stuff. Exactly. And that's not a, that's not including what other whatever terrain features you put on the board. Um, 
So terrestrial fiend is going to be super, super scary. You just got to make sure that it doesn't die. Yeah. Um, that's which to that, be fair, you can actually there. sit it back and be kind of threatening with it just in general, because again, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the three terrains in the middle means that, uh, yeah, getting your secondary for a terrestrial fiend probably gonna be pretty simple. Yeah. And I think with the terrestrial fiend, you're looking at a, you're, you're looking at that, uh, where cow that, uh, that extraction carnifex, he is very powerful. You do have to deal with him, but to deal with him, you pull them off of objectives and off of ribbon stones, uh, cause they have yeah. to leave those to get to him because he's causing problems by causing ribbon stones to explode. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I've only played against a terrestrial fiend once and my Knight of the Exile order went over and one rounded it. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have a good, uh, prize in terrestrial fiend. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had good experience with terrestrial feeds or, uh, like good yeah i don't have a lot of experience running them and, and seeing them run well uh because they are super super scary but they are worth a lot of points right um but yeah i do think yeah like your point is just having them hang back and then just blow stuff up and then having your other stuff run around causing mayhem and with your imps just popping out like on the uh the Rivenstone deposits when they spawn yep, or just getting flung off of the fiend just puts them in positions where they can be super, super annoying and their ingenuity too, which is mm-hmm. nice. Uh, I'm assuming deployment doesn't, they don't just get to pop once a Rivenstone deposit. <laughs> no, no, no. Deployment, deployment and spawn yeah. are very right, different. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that would, that, that would, would be awesome. That'd be but, great. Uh, no, they're not going to give us that. Great. Uh, and we'll just imps, uh, imps are ingenuity. That would be gross. <laughs> just like three, three musters of imps. Just, <laughs> yeah. Listen, and just they've, uh, got a, they've got advanced deployment. Well, right. <laughs> they do. And just a small correction. They are ingenuity one instead of two. Oh, they unfortunately. are. Oh, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately oh. in wild predators, they they're don't not. get the buff. They don't get it. Yeah. Cause they're not a beast. Oh, they're an yeah. elemental. I, I thought they were a base too. So no, I thought, unfortunately, I thought, I thought the imps were smarter than they were. I but, thought they were two as well in the game I played them, and I'm glad I checked straight away. And I was like, <laughs> oh, they're only one. So I just had to throw all of my imps at one objective until someone scored it and then moved on to the next one. Right, right. True, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what would you build for your list in this? Uh, if you were if you were choosing a Wild Predators list, what would you think for this one? Um. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think, like you said, running the... Uh, Fiend and the imps would be good because if I'm running tour like Saber Fang, I mean I'd probably just run <laughs> uh, Oryx and uh, like an Oryx list instead. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, Fiend, and then I think I would just go Fiend one imps and two wolves with uh, I like tour better than the Saber Fang to be yeah. honest, but. Like choose your poison, basically. Yeah, I think I think either would be good. Uh, yeah. What about yeah. you, Reese? Uh well, I I think yeah. For me, it's like a bit of everything. It'd be fine. Yeah. I'd probably lean more towards a fiend and imp, and then maybe Tor and two wolves. Um, mm-hmm. in a scouting. Um, I feel like that's because you get a lot of um. 
movement that way. Tor's obviously a super big ranged threat. The Terrestrial Fiend can sit back, do damage from range, and also score his secondary quite easy. Tor can always score his secondary because it's what he does. Yeah. Um, wolves are super fast, and their Ingenuity 2 and Wild Predators, meaning that they can score objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, your Imps are only Ingenuity 1, but they can just appear wherever you need them to be in the middle of the board, basically. Um, and if you're running a Fiend, they can bifurcate off him as well. So, yeah, right. you that, that'd probably be what I would more lean towards. Um, but in yeah. all honesty, you could run a, anything that has access to wild predators at the moment, and I think it would still be fine. Yeah, I think so too. I think if I'm doing Tor Morning Fang, I'm going to be doing nothing but wolves. I don't think I'm going to lean into any orcs, or else I'd just be playing orcs. Uh, mm. And if I go Terrestrial Fiend with one imp, I wouldn't do two. Uh, I would run two wolves as the uh, as the rest, and then I probably instead of Tor, I would go Morning Fang, just because of the melee threat and the pounce. Uh, but that would just be my choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about. It. I think if you go saber fang you go double wolves but if you go tour you go one wolves one murder birds oh yeah that's fair that's fair yeah because then you got the speed off the murder birds yeah you get the speed off the murder birds and they make tour better because you can re-roll misfires ah yes very very good yeah i think that's great (laughs) so yeah good call (laughs) wild wild predators at this point wild predators is kind of a a flavor to suit kind of army i i don't really think there's anything that's like Ooh, this is amazing in this scenario but i don't think there's anything that's like oh that's terrible in this scenario you know Mm. Uh, for the most part all right so how would we play against uh against wild predators reese Oi, um again this is this is one of those ones where it comes down to what there is if there's tor you can you you'd you have to sort of deal with tor but you know that's just a general rule when you're versing mm-hmm. against tor uh the big thing is going to be making sure you can keep hold of your home objective um you know if you're running uh you look at the the follower groups just that would be running wild predators you would have uh, like alone, basically, would be Carnotaryx, um, your Ensorcelled Wolves, and your Terrestrial Imps. And two of those three are super, super fast. So yep. you then need to be able to make sure you can always hold your home objective um, or at least make sure it's held in a way where if it does get taken, you can take it back straight away. Um, while at the same point, like the middle of the board is just going to be pain against the Terrestrial Fiend and Tor. Um, Although if you can clear them, that's eleven victory points <laughs> um, every time the the pair of them die. So it's but they both can do so much. And like with the the terrestrial fiend can literally just get in the way, and because you can't draw a line of sight through him, um, if you're running anything ranged or anything like that, because of his um, special rule that makes him shroud basically. Um, it's he, he's just and he's super tough, like all things considered. Um, but he can do a lot of damage, and the three riverstone deposits there mean he can, you know, you're you're going to want to hold the center of the board for shard economy and for objectives, and he can just continuously blow you up with the the riverstone deposits just popping, um, and that's not including any other terrain you might have floating around within his range. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a tough one. It really comes down to the the followers are probably the least important thing to deal with, except the ones going for your home home objective. You need to deal with the the um, the heroes of the list because one, it's going to score you a lot of points, and two, that's where a lot of the pain comes from. Yeah, I think so. I think the big thing here is this: this is definitely you're going to be playing more of a headhunter 
uh, than a follower killing uh, type mm. strategy in, in in playing against them. And you really need to watch your home objective. They can they can run across the board very, very quickly and take it. Yep. Yeah, I think I think if you're going against wild predators, one of your best options is going to be going a veteran list so that mm. they can't get high bounties. But oh, then yeah. you but then you can. So if you can get a veteran in to kill either Tor or uh, the Fiends, then yeah, then that's going to be a huge swing for you, and you can afford to you know play that risk and sacrifice them um, to make that play because they're only worth one bounty. So, absolutely, absolutely, you're not going to be trading a lot uh, against a terrestrial fiend, even when you do take the bait uh, to come offline um, to get him. It's well worth it at that point. You've just turned it into something that's worth it. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. All right. No, so I, I agree with that though. Just as a, as a final thing, is yeah, a vet, running a veteran list into wild predators is the best way to go because then if you lose something, you're only giving out one two victory points. If you're running a headhunter, um, otherwise, and, and you're not giving up four victory points or three victory points whenever you lose something, which is good when your opponent can do a lot of work with uh, with like tor, a dragoon, or um, terrestrial fiend. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a decent strategy into Wild Predators, no matter what. The, the Wild Predators, unfortunately, currently suffers from not having anything that's less than four bounty. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wave one Wild Predator. If for some reason, someone is listening to this in like a year and a half and we actually have our, <laughs> right. <laughs> we actually have we actually have our wild starter and it's an entirely different you know situation. Well, listen, it's a year and a half later. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and in fact, we'll probably when once we actually get that in the actual wild uh, coalition, we'll probably uh, go over some of this stuff and kind of update it to keep it uh, to keep it upgraded. Not the actual episode, but we'll just like have add-ons uh, as we go along. All right, so that is our episode on Mosh Nations. Uh, I think uh, I just wanted to do one thing uh, that we didn't do with Motherload, but I think it would be kind of cool. Uh, so let's start with Reese. Rank the coalitions in order of strength, which is the strongest oh. coalition into this, which is the weakest coalition into this, or we could just let's do oh. what do we all think is rank one? Uh, I think. Oh man, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it because I, I don't think any coalition is bad in the in right. this scenario. Which I think, to be to be fair, is uh, across most of the scenarios. I think that that's very true. But I think right. strength wise, um, I would say risen and shattered empire it'd be a toss-up between the two as to what i would consider the most powerful in this scenario really just because of the the centralized threats that we spoke about during each of them oh that's interesting because i was going to put ig as number one because it's real master yeah. <laughs> like that that would yeah. be my my number one but i could see you know shattered empire and risen i think they're very powerful into this too i just think ig pulls slightly just because of drill master that's yeah, I was, uh, I'm I'm on this I'm on the same place. Like I IG with Drill Masters 
is pretty strong, especially if okay. you got tunnel fighters that are able to like increase his threat range by taking pot shots at heroes. Like, oh man, he's yeah. he's so he's so absolutely. Scary. But I think those three, those are our top three, no matter what order they come in. Yeah, like, yeah I, I think. Sure. Uh, <laughs> what would you say is your number two then, uh, Spencer? Would it, well, it would be Risen or SE, depending on which one. Those kind of tie for one and two, right? For you, I mean, I mean, I'm. Uh, I'm or I'm sorry, with, for Reese, <laughs> for Spencer, which one would be your number two? Uh, I'm. I'm gonna go with my heart, and say my smash, my my shooty Oryx. I'm, I'm going with my heart, y'all. Oh. <laughs> I I I think though I love the risen, and I think the risen have the flexibility. I think my number two would be uh, Shattered Empire because of Stone Touch Knight. Like, yeah, my my one and two is based solely on ease of scoring uh, for those two guys. All <laughs> yeah, right, I can uh, say that. Number three, Reese. Where would you have number three? I mean, I it's, I agree with everything you guys have said about Drill Master, so I would put the the Iron Guard right there. I think the, right. the biggest thing and the only reason I rate Risen and Shattered Empire above the Iron Iron Guard myself is because if you can continuously deal with the Drill Master before he can really get going, then the the Iron Guard have to rely on other things. Um, I mean, the, the Drill the Drill Master is not easy to deal with by a long stretch, but. It's like if you know your opponent hasn't been able to move their barracks up far enough, or the drill master can't get in um, due to like model placement and stuff, and he might have to waste a turn like faffing around. Uh, and you can deal with him before he scores, you know, four or five victory points in a turn, and he just scores, you know, one, and then you kill him, and then he resets and does it again. Um, I think that that you can you can temper how much the iron guard can do just by focusing the drill master i mean sure it means the rest of their list can run run wild but if you can capitalize on the fact they're not scoring you know a squillion victory points a turn from this one little angry dude with drills right um it, it makes a big difference that actually makes a lot of sense he is a lot easier to mitigate than like the stone touch knight so i could see why you would put se above him and i think with mm. the risen they have the ability to potentially deal with him. So I could see why you would rank Risen uh, above him as well. That yeah, makes a lot that's, of sense. That's, that's literally the only thing keeping Iron Guard out of my top sort of, you know, tie is right, the fact right. that you, you can deal with the Drill Master. But yeah, because like, for example, in a Risen matchup, if you can get the, um, the, the Carnal Seer infused and then sitting exactly where the Drill Master needs to be, you can just continuously exhaust him, basically. I mean, he will end up having three stamina at one point, but it means you can basically mitigate one of his activations a turn. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, if Yeah. I mean, an infused Drill Master can, can still run and kill Eternals here in two attacks. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, <laughs> even outside the 12-inch range. Oh, okay. So, yeah, well, (laughs) it it all depends on the dice. I was playing, I'm playing a game with Mazdog, and it's the first time I'm running Risen, and he ran the Drill Master into the Charnel Seer after I had fully exhausted the Charnel Seer out because I'm like, ah, he's going to die next turn. And then he lived, and I couldn't do anything with him for the rest of the turn. (laughs) I was like, you weren't supposed to be here. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, Spencer, what would be your number three? Uh, I'm gonna go with Shattered Empire. Shattered Empire, Reese number SDK four. Is SDK. Yeah, number SDK four. Is. I'd I'd probably go. Oh, it's actually a hard one. I think between Predators and Oryx, to be honest. I think um, they're very similar. I th- 
I think they're very similar. I think I would probably currently eke out the Oryx just because of the scout build with the headhunter. Um, and then I would say that then I would say that wild predators could probably still match against it quite well. But I think it just because that headhunter's ranged push, I rate that a little bit higher. Okay. I'm going to go four with wild predators just because they're my bay. Uh, and <laughs> I, I do like their speed. Like I do like their speed in here and their ability to move. And I do like the terrestrial fiends ability to cause the riven stones to explode for damage, uh, to get a little bit of AOE that could kill a lot of different followers, depending on how often he can do that. Uh, you know, if, if I have to move him or, you know, uh, whether I can get both actions to do it or whatnot. Uh, so I kind of, I kind of like the wild predators over the orcs and then I would do orcs last. What about you, Spencer? Sure. Uh, I'm a, I'm a throw wild predators into four well. and then risen is yes. fifth. Yes. Cause I, I don't like the personally, I don't like the Charnel Seer and the Nightblade list. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. Um, that's that's the only reason why. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so what I liked about this is though we ranked them, we ranked a lot of the, like there was no definitively like that shows it's balanced because there was no definitively all agreed. This was absolute baller. No holds barred. I mean, yes, we agree that there are three at the top, but uh, I like that it's kind of balanced. Mm. Listen, if if everything just dies, you don't you don't have to worry about anything. Right, right. right. Orcs for, <laughs> for the win. If everything dies, you don't have to worry about what you're yeah, to win the game. What, what, what was it? Just you just have to roll better. Is that what it is? It's just like, that's all you yeah. got to do. Just roll better. Roll better dice. <laughs> Right. win the game <laughs> all right so that was our episode on uh machinations uh thank you for joining us uh we will see you again next week when we go over some of our uh backlog of lore as well as some news and then get right back to our uh scenario breakdowns uh if you haven't before join our discord uh talk to us on discord tell us what you think uh in machinations uh you know start up a conversation we would love to have one with you uh so we'll see you later i've been red i'm reese and i'm spencer bye
music entitled District 4, provided by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com. Licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. You can find out more about the Creative Commons license at creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 4.0.